Welcome to this week's episode of A Question of Code. We're delighted this week to be joined by Michael Kennedy, uh, who's a Python enthusiast and entrepreneur. Um, he's also the host of some other podcasts, the Talk Python and Python Bytes podcasts, and is the founder of the Talk Python training, as well as being a Python Software Foundation fellow. So really into his Python. Uh, welcome, Michael. <laughs> it's an honor to be here. Nice to see you guys. No, really good to have you on. Yeah, um, we've yeah kind of covered python a little bit because ed started learning python but we've never i don't you're the first like true python expert i think we've had on <laughs> oh right on that we mostly we <laughs> yeah we've we've had a lot of uh, we've kind of gone heavily on javascript a bit so it's nice to even things out a little yeah. well if, if if you line up the two most popular languages these days it's neck and neck right <laughs> i mean those are, the, yeah. those are the two yeah so it's uh both are good places to be so this week we're going to be talking about uh, why Python is a good starting point for learning to code. Obviously, it's where is where I started with, so it's something that's very close to my heart. Um, Tom maybe disagrees because you started with PHP, is that right, Tom? Yeah, which I think is a, not a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> it does give you appreciation for other languages that come after, though. Yeah, I do. I do. That, that's a, that's a very that is a good point. I do wonder if I would enjoy JavaScript quite so much if I hadn't. Like come to it already a little bit angry. Um. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was wondering first if maybe Michael, you could tell us a bit about how you got into Python. You obviously, from all the things that we've just said when I was doing your bio, you obviously uh, love Python quite a bit. I can I, assume. Um, I do love. I do love my Python. I did not start there. Uh, more like Tom, I started somewhere else. I started actually in college. I was studying math and I never really expected to be a programmer, but I thought, you know, I probably should learn some programming because if you're doing math, you're doing research, you know, you want to make the number, number crunchy automatic, right? So I learned C++ and I got pulled into a research project working on like OpenGL and 3D graphics and silicon uh, graphics mainframes. It was, it was pretty cool. Got to work on that for a while and learn some other languages and around... I don't know, 2010, something like that, maybe even actually a little bit before then. I had, I was doing a bunch of training in other languages for professional software developers, teaching them like the latest, greatest or whatever. And we thought, you know, this Python thing is coming on. Let's maybe someone's going to need to like do some research and see whether it makes sense to kind of offer that as well. And I got into it. And at first I thought, wow, this is a weird language. Like it has no curly braces, fewer parentheses, no semicolons. What is going on here? Uh, but after about a, a week of it, I really just started to love it. And then I went back to the C-based languages and I thought, okay, well, fine. I got to go back to what I'm comfortable with, but I wasn't comfortable. I was like, why are all these parentheses? Like, why does every if statement have to have parentheses and every function curly braces and semicolons? And why are there so many symbols in my way? I, why is this hard to read? And it was been just like a few weeks, right? And so I'm like, oh, there, I, maybe I should spend some more time over here, right? This is a, an interesting place. And I pretty much haven't looked back since then. Fantastic. Yeah. That's kind of the, one of the things I loved about Python when I started doing it was just, it's so clean, I suppose, like the the way you write it and the way it looks on the page. It's just, there isn't there isn't syntactic fluff getting in the way of what the code's actually doing. It's, yeah. it's definitely one of the things yeah. that drew yeah. me to that. You know, you know when a, one of your mental models gets broken, how it, it can just jar you, right? And one of my mental models that got broken was I thought all these symbols were a fundamental part of programming languages, right? You need static, main, void, this pointer, that, like all over the place. And I'm just like, okay, well, that's just what programming is, right? That's, you just need it, like uh, you need that level of precision. And then when it was taken away and I realized, oh, you don't actually need this. 
I just couldn't go back. I'm like, well, <laughs> I've been living, you know, in the simulation, right? And there's like weird world that's broken. What has happened to me? And anyway, that was my experience. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it and, and the community and all the packages and libraries. It's just like, you know, a candy shop. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if the reason you enjoyed it so much is because you knew what the other side was like, the, the C and the yeah, exactly. The syntax. And the thing is, I don't hate those languages. Like they're, they're fine. And I really enjoyed my time working in them, but you know, it's our life. We get to pick whatever we want to pay attention to and spend our energy on. And if you find something you like better, just like, you know what, go spend your energy there. <laughs> if, yeah, you, if you don't like PHP, pretty... go to JavaScript, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the wise words. Yeah. Does your um, experience of it change, Ed, then? Because you came to Python completely fresh, really. No, um, programming beforehand um but now yeah. i get the i the impression i get is that you have the same opinion of, as michael that you you enjoy the like lightweightness is not the right word but the yeah the syntactical yeah. beauty of python and... i i like how python looks once i've written like a python script i like i like the way <laughs> the way the words are on the on the screen i don't know if that makes any sense to anyone but um yeah, I suppose I did because um, I went and did the CS50 course, which involves some C. So I kind of went the other way a bit. So I went from just doing Python to C. And I wonder if there's like just going in, starting at Python, you kind of miss out some maybe some maybe of the fundamentals of like how programming languages actually work. And like like you said, Michael, the, the pointers, etc. While we don't necessarily need them so much now, it is quite it can be can be useful to, to kind of understand what's going on and why if you uh, like point to a list a few times, you're getting the same thing back when you'd expect like a new yeah. list to be created, etc. Exactly. Like these can be really subtle issues you run into if if your mental model is is not including that. Right. Um, it's a good question. I don't really know for sure. Uh, I think you probably do get some value from knowing those lower level languages. At the same time, it's a huge amount of effort for a, a small, what I would say is a small <laughs> bit of added value to your understanding, right? To become proficient in like C or C++ is a, it's a journey, right? And yeah, <laughs> I, I think you could probably, a, a lot of people would say you have to know pointers and this low level stuff and memory management to become a real programmer. And I just, I don't really think so. So much of what we do these days is we find a cool library that solves our problem and we work with it and it's it, the building blocks are big enough. I think it's probably okay. But I mean, if you're going your goal is to go write an operating system, you probably, you need some more <laughs> skills, but most people don't want or need to do that. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, I suppose it's like, like the way maybe front end developers, Tom start off just creating loads of websites in Python. It's really easy to just create loads of scripts and you kind of just pull in the bits you need from different libraries and stuff. I guess it's that sort of experimenting with code that, that's so exciting for people starting out. Yeah, and I wonder if some people come to it from, uh, I mean, the I mean, hands up here, I'm not, I never really programmed much in Python. The only experience I've got of it was uh, flashing stuff onto, that was Python-like onto Arduinos and writing some Python code to make my Raspberry Pi drive around <laughs> when I stuck some wheels on it. Um, that's pretty but, cool. Uh, yeah, but that seems like, it seems like a common entry point because a lot of people are picking up things like Raspberry Pis and looking at the tutorials I mean, in, in magazines, if they still exist, and, uh, and blogs and things. A lot of big introduction to programming concepts tutorials seem to be written in Python, and the, I think possibly because you can do so much so quickly. I think part of it is Python has this weird gravitational force <laughs> that pulls in people who don't think that they're programmers 
but eventually they look in the mirror and they're like, well, how did I become a programmer? What just happened? And what I mean by that is you might be a biologist and you're like, I need to do a little bit more than Excel or my statistics program can do. And I know there's this cool biology library here and I can do this graphic things here. So if I could write these 10 lines of steps, no functions, no compiling, I just, just the utter bare minimum to make this series of things happen. And those steps are really impressive because of all the libraries you get, and then they get the answer. And they're like, wow, this is incredible, right? They start to do that. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, maybe some functions. I want to pass different stuff to this. And then like, you know, maybe, maybe I could package it up and then maybe I can, then, you know, they never in their mind wanted to become a developer or anything like that, but they've slowly been pulled in. And then it's, I think Python is awesome, but in this case, I think it's good enough to keep them there, right? That person who no, doesn't see themselves as a developer, they don't need to like go learn Swift or something. They're, they're basically solving their problems. Now they're in Jupyter Notebooks and now they're doing the cool interactive dashboards. And then they're, they look like, well, I kind of know programming. How did I get here? And I think Python is pulling people from all these angles because it has this incredibly low barrier to getting started, right? You don't need to understand what a function is or compiling, or you just, you write a few lines and it happens. And yet it scales all the way to building Instagram and Pinterest and Lyft and all of these other things that are like full on high end professional businesses that are built on technology, right? And so a lot of languages can either be simple or they can be awesome and advanced, but often they're not the same language, right? It, it, this can like pull people in at the utter beginning of any form of programming, but like they don't have to leave because they can't solve their problems anymore. Damn, that's really good way of looking at it. I've um, been thinking a lot lately about, like I've, as a JavaScript person primarily, I, gen I tend to recommend JavaScript to people as a good language to learn and certainly job prospects are good for it. But I've been thinking yeah. recently that it's the, the ecosystem has got so complicated. There are so many little gotchas and caveats when you're first getting started to go from to like there, there are so many libraries like the npm yeah. re registry has got loads of really cool stuff that does loads of really powerful things but to correctly get that stuff to in be installed and to then use it and to import it into your project as ed can testify is not necessarily a seamless process <laughs> and yeah, npm is no pimp <laughs> 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 it's not, you know, NPM is, is really incredible. There's an insane amount of stuff there as well. And, and node is awesome. There's a lot of stuff going on over there that, that is awesome. But the, the lowest barrier step is not as low as it used to be, right? Like, oh, now you're just going to require these things. And then, oh, that part mm -hmm. is in TypeScript. So you're going to need to compile that over into JavaScript. And then you probably want to use Webpack for this. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is my head spinning with all these tools, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, but it is you know I remember JavaScript being just you know you just at most you imported another script at the top before you write your JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people like beginning to learn to code, kind of front end seems to be I don't know seems like seems to be the way to go. It seems like if you want to get a job quickly, you need to jump into front end and learn a JavaScript framework, et cetera, if you want a job. Whereas I'm wondering if it's more uh, changing perhaps because of Python's popularity and maybe there are more jobs now for Python developers that people can start with Python. I, I, I don't know if that's a possibility, but that would, <laughs> it'll be something great. <laughs> I do think it's a possibility. Uh, one of my thoughts on this 
and you know, Tom, you let me know. Like, I, I think it's the visual aspect of, of the front end that draws people in. There's, there's this, it's hard to go through and say, okay, I don't know any programming, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to create in like a backend API that's going to talk to a database doing like things that I don't understand. And I don't even know how to make a database, but probably like, that's not people's dream. A lot of the time, their dream is to make something they can see and they can feel and they can touch. And you can do that with like Vue.js is a really like tangible way to create something amazing on the front end real quickly. And then you're like, well, how do I get data? I guess I got to learn about APIs and databases. Uh, but I think Python is starting to have something like that as well with the data science side of things, right? You've got Jupyter Notebooks. You've got all these amazing plotting libraries and stuff. So I kind of feel like data science and visualization is the, the JavaScript front end, like approachable side of programming before you decide you're going to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We've had a lot of um, people that we've spoken to. I mean, uh, Tom Sainsbury, who was a, a guest on the show recently, and, and Boris Pashkeva as well, both came out of a kind of a science background, uh, sort of looking at data and trying to do things. And the most approachable tool to get the job done that they wanted to do was Python. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, like you were saying with NPM and JavaScript getting a little bit tricky, it's it's somewhat like that with Python as well now, because, well, I want to graph something. Okay. Well, there's these 10 different amazing graphing <laughs> libraries. And then I want to use this other data library that, that, you know, I'm going to feed over to those graphing things. Well, okay. That was pandas, but well, now there's also X frame. There's all these other types of, so it is starting to get non-obvious in, in some ways. It's the paradox of choice in a sense as well. Yeah, I wonder if that's an, an inevitable side effect of the, the, just popularity. The more people are building things, the more there is to choose from. Um, yeah, I think it's the popularity plus open source. Yeah, that's a key part. Right, because if it was like a popular Oracle thing or a popular, uh, say, Apple thing, right, they're Swift. The way you do it is Swift, and this is how you do it in Swift. <laughs> We've decided, right? <laughs> but in, in JavaScript and, and Python, a thousand flowers bloom, 10 of them flourish, and you got to pick amongst the 10. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if we need a we need a benevolent dictator to kind of just settle on something and direct <laughs> right. our efforts. No, yes, yes, no. <laughs> it's look, it's messy, but it's it's awesome, right? It's it's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's still like not much of a barrier really to kind of pip install something. You can it's it's fairly simple to just try out the different ones and then kind of pick one that you, that you enjoy using. Whereas I, this is maybe just my, my lack of experience in JavaScript, but when I, any, any time I NPM install something, something breaks or there's a dependency <laughs> or apparently my whole system's now vulnerable or something like that. <laughs> Whereas I, I find personally, I find with pip, you don't, you don't get those problems as much. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm coming at a biased I, opinion. <laughs> I don't think that is too biased. I think a lot of that is a shared experience of a lot of people of JavaScript um, getting started. I think once you get past that barrier, once you know how to debug your node version and make sure that, <laughs> and you know what your package JSON is doing. Like once you get past that level and you have your Webpack stuff set up or whatever build step you're using, once you get to that level, it's lovely. And that's why I love it. That's why that's why it's what I do every day. But I think yeah. that that first initial step is painful. Um, well, there are uh, you know there are these rough edges, and you end up with the an amnesia or something, right? You sort of bang against that wall for a while and it's really frustrating. But then once you're through, you're like, oh, okay, this is all good. Like it's all fixed. It's fine. Right. And you almost don't even see those challenges anymore until mm. you go and help somebody and they're like, why is this working? Right. Uh, it, it could be, 
you didn't run npm and net in the right place in, in your place, Tom, or Ed, it could be, I just tried to pip install this and it said permission denied. Or I tried to pip install this and then it gave me this error that the the print statement doesn't take parentheses or something, you know, like, well, because you're yeah, installing yeah. it into Python 2 because that's your system. Like, there's these edge cases and I don't know. I don't really know how to solve this problem to make it smooth, right? That's the problem yeah. of stuff that's been around for 20 years. It's just built yeah. up layers. Yeah, I'm definitely coming at it from a, a biased opinion, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> My experience with uh, Python, I kind of forget all the... Uh, the rough edges, I suppose. Um, right. Well. I, don't, I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want this to become a Python versus JavaScript. I guess it's just whichever one leans to you. But I'd like people to know that there's the opportunity that you don't have to just start with JavaScript. It's I, getting out. I think. I, yeah. I, well, I think certainly people are starting with Python in a major way. Certainly in the sciences, they are in academia, right? What the most common CS 101 course these days, people still get to go to college this fall. Who knows? Is, is Python, right? In general, generally speaking. Um, I think one of the things that's really cool about Python is a lot of people can can take it up and then find a way to apply it to what they're doing at kind of 10x their their capabilities, right? So a biologist who's doing research, like it's how much data can you really process and analyze? But if you learn a little bit of Python, like a very small amount, all of a sudden you're way ahead of your peers because they're trying to work with Excel or manually doing it. You're like, I just turned these libraries against it. And we did like, you know, a whole way, way more stuff. Right. Uh, I just interviewed a guy who works at um, a top tier race team doing the simulations and analysis of their race cars with Python. It's just how much more they're able to do once they adopted Python the last couple of years over like commercial tools like MATLAB and other like, you know, one-off simulation simulators and whatnot. It's, it's the ability to take these things and just make it like whatever you care about so much better is just awesome. Yeah. You can sort of specify exactly what it, you can, you can tailor your solution to the exact problem that you've got. And yeah, I mean, some, something we've talked about a lot in the, in the past about getting people started and sort of, making the journey of learning more entertaining and more satisfying and making the knowledge stick more is to do something that builds something that's useful to you to scratch your own itch in some way yeah and it yeah. seems like it's m almost more easy to do that in python than than in almost any other scenario i think i think so um if what you're trying to do doesn't live on the web then it's there's a lot of libraries that are kind of built for you kind of the automate the boring stuff side of things, right? Like I want to talk to Excel. So like, here's the five libraries I could use that would let me write Python code that automates Excel, or I want to capture stuff from the keyboard and make this thing happen. Or yeah, there's just a lot of really easy and short ways to do that that are, I think, approachable to people. Yeah. I guess that comes down to like this key difference of like, if you want to, if you're focused on web technologies, JavaScript's a good place to start. If you want to do stuff that sort of lives on a, it's on a server does other is more scripting based than than python is a great place to start what would you say to people who will we've got i think we have quite a few listeners who are just sort of learning like just dab, ding, dipping their feet in the waters of programming and trying out a quite a few different languages and trying to see what sticks if someone wanted to go all in on python what's their path say they're not coming specifically from a science background they just they like they know they they've got a passion for coding they want to they want to pursue it they want to double down on python what should their sort of short-term aims be if they're like if they're looking to yeah. get a job? Yeah, there's there's a couple of really clear and obvious paths, and then there's 
the other spectrum, which is really <laughs> interesting. And I'll maybe try to answer that through examples rather because it's, it's so broad and, and diverse. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a web developer, there's a bunch of great web frameworks in Python, right? If I want to build APIs, there's fast API, there's Django and flask and so on. If you want to build front end stuff, you know, you probably, what you would be doing is either going with a, a node plus JavaScript, or you would be doing, um, still some JavaScript on the front end, right? Um, so that's pretty inescapable on the website. So web is one path. That's there's some really good options for building websites. You know, like I mentioned, Instagram, Pinterest, Lyft, a bunch of those things are all running on that, which is pretty awesome. The data side is like, that's the clearest story for Python. Python's not good for these other things. It's just Python has a bigger lead over the other stuff that you might choose in the data side. It's like really the last four or five years, there's so many things going on there that's just amazing in machine learning and visualization. And then we come to the other. <laughs> the other is, <laughs> it, it comes down to almost like, what do you care about and what do you want to do? You know, like if, if what you, let me give you uh, two examples, I guess. One, like let's suppose I'm really into fantasy sports. I, I'm like, I'm pretty good at predicting the outcome. I bet if I did some, some of my own ideas, plus maybe some machine learning, and I had the right data, I could do some cool sports betting or something like that, right? <laughs> so you could write a program that does web scraping in Python that pulls all this stuff together. You could write a little bit of machine learning and train it up on some experience that you've had, and you could make predictions and, and teach it. And then like you could build up this cool thing if that was your passion to like do fantasy sports or, or something like that. Um, another example, I just, I feel there are so many examples of I'm really passionate about something and I want to add a little programming to it. This guy who's a professor in, in Europe, I think in the Netherlands, he is a, he contacted me and I said, I'm like, I'm not really sure if this makes sense to talk about on the podcast. You know, let me tell you what I'm doing. And what he turned out, it's just like this canonical example of like, wow, this person took that and did, did what with it? It's this guy who is a medieval Islamic philosopher. So studied the philosophy of the, the Islamic philosophers around the middle ages, like, you know, 500 to 1500, something like that. And they have all these scrolls and the way they would like sort of uh, say, I've worked on this or I've contributed to this body of work is they have these funky stamps that have like really ornate shapes. And if, if like multiple stamps are on there, that means these different people worked on it. And the way that they fold up and roll the scrolls in different shapes mean stuff about the time. So he was trying to study these. He started using machine vision, computer vision and Python to analyze them, to find the stamps to like say, okay, these guys actually work together a lot over here as well automatically to figure out the age of the scrolls based on how they were folded. And you think of like a humanities person doing philosophy, if they can take Python and computer vision and like just jump ahead of all of their research peers, like what else can you do? The, it's just unlimited. That's such <laughs> you know a good I mean? example. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so happy that guy came on this show. Uh, he, he was really, uh, really turned on a really smart guy. And I was just like, all right, look, if you can do this, it's just going to be an example for so many people of like what they would be able to do with a little bit of, you know, he wasn't a programmer to start with and things like that. Yeah, it's almost like a secret weapon to get, get, get a leg up on, on your competition, isn't it? It's, 
It is. And the you know, programming in some sense is that, but the problem is a lot of programming languages require like a huge gap before you get productive. Mm. And like part of Python's secret power is that you can be productive with a very partial understanding of the language and the ecosystem, right? Like you could have no concept ever of what a class is. <laughs> yeah. And you could still be hugely useful. Like you might not even know what a function is and you could still do stuff that people go, wow, that's impressive. You're like, I don't know what programming is, but this is, you're right. It's impressive. Look at it. (laughs) And so I think that's actually its secret power is that you can do so much with a partial understanding. Whereas a lot of languages you have to like kind of get most of the sort of ideas and then you can go. Could that, does that ever lead to problems further down the line with so much useful stuff having been done in quite a (laughs) primitive way, so to speak? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It definitely does. And the... The challenge is everybody writes bad software uh, at some point or in different industries. Like no one is immune, but as much as this is a benefit to the data science side and the people are are coming to it from a, I just need a little computation bit, they end up often with code that's like spaghetti code. It's hard to maintain. They can't share it. They can't reuse it. They don't have tests. It might not be in version control. And so there's actually a couple of organizations (laughs) trying to sort of reach out and help those people. So one is called Software Carpentry, which is a bunch of mostly academic scientist types trying to bring software engineering practices through little workshops, like free open workshops for professors and other types. But yeah, so it is a challenge, right? Like you've built all this code and you don't even know what source control is, right? (laughs) But it's also, it's also really a benefit, right? Like people lament how Excel is used to solve all these problems. Like what's the biggest deployed database in the world? Excel or something like that, right? (laughs) And as much of the problem as it is, it's like, what would that person have done otherwise? Like the common person who kind of tries to run their business on Excel, they might've just not run their business, you know? So you could run it badly or not at all. And, And if you were at least running it, you can sort of level your way up, up the rung there. But yeah, you're totally right that it does lead to, uh, what source control again? What's it? What's the unit <laughs> test? I don't know. <laughs> but then I suppose we could think of it, it's opening the door to all these people to discover these problems and realize that they need to look for the solutions. And, I mean, that yeah, exactly. Kind of what happened with me. I just kind of stumbled and oh, actually, I don't have to keep writing the final final dot seriously really final dot <laughs> j, dot js. What kind of <laughs> version control do you use? I use zip. What about you? <laughs> zip and, and folders. <laughs> But sure, I mean, I went through a similar path. I, I didn't, I studied, I took a few courses in college because I needed uh, requirements for my math degree, but I didn't study computer science, right? And so these are all things you learn somewhat painfully sometimes, but you learn them one at a time. And I feel like a lot of people get overwhelmed because they're like, oh my gosh, I got to know what continuous integration is and databases. And somebody said their third normal form and, and now there's Git and Git is really confusing because I had a, a, a merge conflict and I couldn't deal with it. Like, and then they see people who are fluent in these things and think, well, that person is good at this and I'm bad at this, right? But the real thing is that person, like we both talked about the rough edges of getting started on certain things, is like you learn that one thing that week and then the next week you learn the next thing and the next, and it, from the outside, it looks like they're good, I'm bad. But from, you know that you've built that up slowly <laughs> at layer by layer over time, right? Yeah, definitely, as with many things. But it's also good to hear that there's like, a community out there trying to help 
uh, people that are maybe struggling with this stuff. You said the is it the carpenters so- software carpentry software software yeah. carpentry yeah. And that that kind of brings me on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was like Python's community, and that was something that really drew me, or kind of maybe not drew me to it, but something that kept me enjoying yeah. Python so much was the community and like your podcast and all that sort of things. It always seemed like a very friendly and approachable thing and i wonder if that's maybe another reason that python's a good language to uh, to start learning first yeah yeah, yeah. I, I definitely do think so it's it's a very welcoming community uh so you know people are less likely to just if you ask a question for help they're like ah you don't know what you're doing you know you're stupid go away right like there's there's a lot of people who are, are quite helpful there's a lot of like slack channels and groups that people can join and, and get support from you know, Brett Cannon, one of the Python core developers, has a, a cool quote. Like, I, I came for the language, I stayed for the community, right? That, <laughs> that's, yeah. um, I think that's a pretty big, it's an important part of the community. And they try to curate it a lot. Right? They, they value it and they, they make sure that it stays. I think also this is somewhat, somewhat reinforced by people coming from non-core programming examples, right? Like, if you came to programming because you were really into biology and then you actually figured out you needed to get into Python so that you could study the genome of whatever, right? You're not going to be so uppity about somebody who doesn't have tests, for example, <laughs> or whatever. You're just going to be like, Oh, what do you do? That's so cool. Because here's how I took this little understanding and like did something awesome with it. And I think that, you know, you multiply that 2 million times and you get a cool community. So cool. if I'm new to the world of Python, which I, I am, where do I find this community? Am I just answer, answer, asking questions on Stack Overflow and the Python people appear, the Pythonistas? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a little dance and a clap you got to do. It's, <laughs> it's hard to learn, but then it, no. <laughs> well, it's a little, bit, a little bit of a rough time for it right now because it's really been about the, the conferences. There's been a bunch of little like regional conferences and big conferences and going to conferences is, is not so much of a thing these days. So there's that. I think that you can also find it around the open source projects that you care about, right? The, the popular ones usually have decent little sub communities that you can find. It's, it's harder these days online though, right? Like there's usually most towns have a nice Python meetup that you can go to and those are usually free or, you know, covered by some company that's sponsoring that month's presentation or something. But yeah, I mean, there's virtual conferences, but I don't feel like virtual conferences stand in for community. They're more like we can carry on giving you some ideas and inspiration, but it's not. Yeah, something is lost, isn't it? Audience yeah. to audience. It's it's not the same. It's totally, it's it's re- very hard to pull together. So, but there's, you know, if, if you want to get into it, wait six months when things get better and, and then just find a local meetup and go to it, start going to that. Right. Those are, there's a lot of people who are fairly new. They just drop in on their meetups and you'll make connections, go to some of the other conferences. That, that's what I would say, I guess. No dance or clap included, uh, needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found that I, I was living in London for, well, when I was kind of first learning to code and there were loads of yeah. meetups just for Python. That, I can as imagine. Well as being loads of like coding <laughs> meetups. Those. There were probably um, tons of meetups for <laughs> if you're doing like, uh, algorithmic trading in Python, you go to this one. But if yeah. you're just doing a <laughs> retroactive analysis of trading, then you're going to go here. I mean, like, it's got to be pretty specific by the time you're in London. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd also count, like, the, the podcast and stuff in as part of the community. Oh, it's yeah. Kind of, even though maybe you're not necessarily interacting one-on-one or 
directly with people. It's kind of, it's still, to me, it kind of felt like the way that you sound on your podcast, you're, you sound very happy and, <laughs> and very welcoming of people. So, um, yeah, thanks and as well. So that's like, and the test and code podcast as well is another one that I, I listen to. And that's kind of, that made me feel like, oh, these people really like Python and these people are going out there and, and helping people essentially. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I, I do think actually there's something to that because part of feeling like you're in the community, I mean, it's one thing to go and say, oh, I found a library and here's the three things I do with it. And that's cool. It's another thing to go, you know, Ed makes this library. Here's why he made it. And I, I listened to him for an hour, which feels almost like a conversation with, with whoever that person is about the history and their history and the motivation and what they struggled with. And right. Bringing those stories forward really does expose that. You know, when I started the podcast, I thought, all right, who's going to listen to like a Python only dive into the internals of the library sort of <laughs> podcast. It's only going to be the most advanced, most hardcore people, which is fine. Right. But it turns out like half of the people who listen are really beginner, beginner programmers and they use it almost like language immersion. So they're, they're like, I'm going to listen to this. I, I get email all the time. Hey, I really enjoy this. I'm starting to understand many of the things you talk about, you know? And they're like, but when I started, I didn't. So I'm just, I'm immersing myself in this world until I hear it over and over. And I'm starting to meet the people and the, the common tools. And like, it's much like, I'm just going to move to Brazil for six months. I don't know Portuguese, but I'm going to, and this is how it's happening. Right. Yeah. I think I've said exactly the same thing on the podcast before about how I just, on this podcast, about mm -hmm. how I listened to other podcasts when I was learning. And there's just all these words coming at you and you just got no idea what they mean. But eventually, like you hear them enough times that you think, oh, I'm going to look up that word so I understand what it means next time. It's just like, it's like osmosis, essentially. Exactly yeah. the same with me, Having this the front end as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. front end doing podcasting, listening to podcasts. That, that's awesome. And the thing, if you don't hear the words a bunch you probably don't need to know them. If you hear them all the time, yeah. then all of a sudden like, okay, that I realize I need to pay attention to, you yeah. know, TypeScript or whatever, yeah. or you do. People talk about APIs a lot. What is that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it took me quite a while until I understood what an API was. What is up with these appies? Mm. <laughs> so um, I was, maybe you could just talk about, you, so the talk, talk Python's about you kind of deep dive into different, um, different libraries and stuff about Python. And then you do another podcast, uh, Python Bytes, isn't that? Yeah. That's more yeah, about that's the, the news around Python. <laughs> exactly. So Talk Python is like this, this philosopher guy I told you about, or the person who does the race simulations. Or, you know, t the last interview I did was with Sebastian uh, from Fast API about why he created it, for example, speaking of APIs. And these are like evergreen stories that make a lot of sense for a couple of years and come back and hear the history or the origin of these things. On the other hand, there's a lot of timely stuff going on, right? This thing was released. Oh, there's this, this uh, debate about whether this should happen or not, right? And that doesn't make a lot of sense years down the road. So what I didn't want to do is cram that, those one stale thing at the front of my evergreen stories, right? So I decided, yeah. well, let's separate those. So Python Bytes is basically an audio, think an audio newsletter with analysis. So we, cover the news and we spend a couple of minutes talking about each one and why it matters or is silly or is awesome or whatever. Hmm, awesome. And then we always have a joke at the end. And Ed, for you, you, if you wanted to, you could type pip install pie jokes. And then on your command line, you could type pie joke anytime you want and receive a geeky Ooh. programming joke. 
I'm gonna do it right now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll run. I'll run a pie joke for you at the end. How's that? We'll see if it. We'll get you a good awesome. one. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so we've talked about loads of reasons what why it's a good language to learn, um, and we talked about like some routes you could take. But if you're actually just just trying to learn the language itself, where and this might be a leading question because I know you do some <laughs> training on Python. Um, uh, where would, might be a good place for people to go to to learn about Python? Yeah, thanks. So there are definitely a couple of places. I mean, there's even things on YouTube. Like there's some decent courses on YouTube and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so one of the places that I would recommend is the the courses I put together. So over at TalkPython at TalkPython.fm, we have now 184 hours of Python courses, like highly produced, polished, edited ones with lots of exercises. I wrote one called Python for the Absolute Beginner. That's like, you didn't take CS 101 or any of that. Like, let's fill in those gaps plus Python. So I've done a bunch there. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but those are uh, pretty highly reviewed as well. Yeah, and I would also add my high review to those. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, my endorsement as well. I've got I've got a few of them. I was just having a look actually, but uh, the Python jumpstart with the 10 apps, I thought that was a really good one for kind of people. It's that just, it's like a random selection of 10 different things you can do with Python. I thought that, yeah. was, that was a really good course. Yeah. Thanks. You know what? I, it tries to solve like what is one of the pet peeves of mine about teaching programming in general and Python in specific is so many people teach programming by saying, okay, well, what we need to do is we need to give you every detail about the language and then we'll let you start doing interesting stuff with it. And that, you know, in college, that can mean like six, you know, four months, maybe. I'm going to go through them. First, we're going to talk about variables, and then we're going to talk about strings, and we're going to talk about loops, and we're going to talk about functions. And eventually, if you could hang in there for four months, we'll do something fun. And so what I tried to do was try to say, okay, can, what is the smallest thing we can build with like a very small understanding? And let's build that. And then let's build a little more complicated thing that adds on a few ideas. And let's build like a little game that requires like a loop or something. And so, so that was the idea is like, don't hit them all with the facts and then make them wait four months to like do something interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, I found that really helpful, even though I'd kind of, I knew a bit about Python. Um, it's it was still kind of filled in a lot of gaps for me that I had in my, in my knowledge. So that was yeah, really good. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad it, glad it helped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you are out there looking to, to learn Python, that is, I, I would suggest that is a, definitely a good place to go. So as we uh, come to the end of the show, uh, Michael, we have a, a question for all our guests at the end of each show. Um, kind of stolen from your podcast a bit, but it's a different question. <laughs> awesome. Okay, yeah, um, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if you had three top tips for people looking to change career into tech, or it could be spe spe specific to Python or whatever. Yeah. Three top tips. Well, first thing is you don't have to just jump. You don't have to say, I spent... You know, six years in college getting a master's degree in mechanical engineering, but I don't want to do mechanical engineering anymore. I want to do this other thing. So, you know, in the bin it goes, right? A, a much better path is to say, how can I start to evolve, like move a little bit of what I have to do every day over into the programming category, into the tech category, right? So you've already, one of the things that's frustrating about learning programming is you kind of feel like you don't, you can't do anything anymore. Like, I don't know how to do, I know what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. And so if you can take what you're already doing with your job or your experience and just slowly like slice by slice, start to do some of that with programming, one, what you're doing is going to be more awesome, but two, it'll provide a bridge over to getting into programming. Brilliant. Number two, I guess, 
you know, there's a bunch of online courses, like, you know, put my stuff aside. Like there's, there's just, it is a time unlike ever before that you can go spend a week and 50 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever it is and come out the other side with a new capability, right? Like when I learned programming, it was go to the bookstore, go down the list of these big books, grab a book and, you know, slowly make your way through it. And with, if you got stuck too bad, <laughs> you know, like there's <laughs> maybe there was Usenet or, or something like that, but generally speaking, you were just out there on your own. So now there's these amazing communities you can get uh, courses online where people are, it's much, much more, you can see it in action and follow along and, and whatnot. So you don't have to get a CS degree to be a programmer. I don't have a CS degree. I, I've been doing okay for 25 years. <laughs> uh, sounds like Tom, you didn't start with the CS side. Nope, or either you that, nope. uh, no, I used to be a music teacher. So. Right on, man. Yeah. So the really nice thing about the tech space is people don't, ask you, you know, what's your master's degree in? Maybe you can work in that part of it. It's show me your GitHub profile. What have you built like this? Can you demonstrate that you could build the thing that we need you to build? If the answer is yes, that's 90% of the way there, right? It's not very based on credentials and, and formal certificates. And that means you can make that path as you see fit, right? So that's, that's step two, a little bit of proactive, uh, get out there, get some education. You can join some of the communities to get some support. And number three is just start, right? Action, <laughs> action beats so many things. You can, you can dream about it, plan about it, but it's one of these hands-on things. You just have to start and, and you, you, you're going to hit the rough edges. It's going to feel like I'm not good at this. This is hard or whatever. Just realize that that is part of the journey. And you'll laugh about it someday on a podcast like, oh yeah, I remember how that used to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's why I, I always try to do the 100 days of code, um, but I'd only ever get to like day 10 or something and then <laughs> stop for, for a week or something and then get back to it again. Yep. Still, yep. it's still quite good. Like, it kept me motivated for yeah, the, that's the time good. I did it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, you want a pie joke real quick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, all right. So how do you know whether... a a person, a programmer that yeah, you might just run into on the street is a Vim user. Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> oh, As the so listeners true. may know, I use Vim. It's right so on. true. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been it's been really good chatting to you and hearing more about Python and I knew it was awesome. Now, hopefully Tom, Tom and our listeners know a bit more as well. Um, so if you are out there, do check out uh, Michael's podcasts, uh, Talk Python and Python Bytes, and also check out the training, training.talkpython.fm is where you go to find the, the courses and stuff there. And they're all, they're all excellent. So I, I highly endorse those. <laughs> Thank you, Ed and Tom. It was great to chat with you and spend some time together. Yeah, really good to have you on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Question of Code. You can check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com where you can find out all the information on how to submit your own questions and suggest topics for future episodes. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, Michael, where, where would be the best place for them to do that? They could just email me, michael at talkpython.fm, or they could find me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. That's brilliant. Uh, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast and telling as many people about it as possible so we can spread the word and help help as many people as possible. And hopefully see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.